Podo. You're listening to Movers and Shakers, a podcast about living with Parkinson's. The show is generously sponsored by Boardwave, an exclusive European networking community for software CEOs. Boardwave is a passionate supporter of Cure Parkinson's. For more details on the charity's progress around research and its fundraising, please visit cureparkinson's.org.uk. Welcome back. This is episode 11, I think, of this podcast. I'm not sure how we've made it this far, but the movers and shakers are in the pub once more. I'm Rory Catlin-Jones, and today we're asking the really big question for anyone with Parkinson's. When on earth are we going to get a cure? We'll be talking to one of the leading scientists looking into this weird condition we all, I was going to say, suffer from, but that's apparently not allowed. This weird condition that unites us. And also to the boss of the charity whose name, Cure Parkinson's, explains its mission. First of all, let's have a roll call. Who's turned up? I'm Mark Modell. I'm Jeremy Paxman. Nicholas Mostyn. Paul Mayhew Archer. Gillian Nacy Solomar. Very good indeed. We are we are quarret. Well, let's get around the table before we meet our guests and find out how we all feel about a cure and how far away it is. Paul, let's come to you first, because you say Parkinson's is one of the best things that's ever happened to you. So presumably you don't want a cure. I've got used to the fact that there won't be a cure in my lifetime. And so there won't. Uh, there won't. Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> that, Which um, depends what you mean by a cure. I'm not going to get better, I don't think. I might get a little bit better from certain drugs and I'm going to have DBS possibly later this year, which is a deep brain stimulation thing in my head that Gillian has had. So the th- there may be things that help, but I'm not going to get over Parkinson's and therefore I've just got to make the most of what I can do before it takes its hold. And that means that I'm just going to enjoy myself and do as much as possible. It gives you a certain urgency and, and encouragement to, to do what you can. Judge Mostyn, who, by the way, is if he speaks very quickly, it's because he has to get away to a Buckingham Palace garden party because he's not <laughs> he's not like the rest of us. Um, uh, <laughs> what, what's, um, what's your view on a cure? As I said a moment ago, it depends on what you mean by a cure. I think the prospects of finding a way of restoring the dead neurons seems to me to be very remote. But the prospect of the drug technology improving so that it has the effect of masking your symptoms so you can live an entirely normal life, that seems to me to be entirely plausible. But like Paul, I don't see the former happening in my lifetime. But I may be wrong. So, Jeremy, you don't seem to um, to convince the cures around the corner. No, I think we're all living in, in, in God's waiting room, <laughs> as it were. Well, isn't that true, whatever your state of health? <laughs> you... Yes, it is true. We're, we're dying from the moment we're born. Of course it's true. You Parkinson's just, you, just Parkinson's accentuates ha- Hurries you up. <laughs> right. I mean, it makes it more interesting. It doesn't make it more interesting, Paul. It does. It doesn't make it more. Why does it make it more interesting? So you can make cheap gags. No, no, no. Because <laughs> they're quite expensive is, gags, actually. Expensive He's gag. one of Britain's top, you know, <laughs> top paid comedy writers. You're getting me free. I think you're given all sorts of opportunities as a result of Parkinson's that you wouldn't have had otherwise and opportunities to explore yourself 
and explore things that have happened to you. And and I think if you choose to see it as a positive thing, um, well, that helps. Well, thank helped. you, Pollyanna. I wouldn't be sitting here watching Jeremy Paxman drink a pint of bitter and eat a sausage roll, but for Parkinson's. So that's I exactly suppose right. Yeah. That's it. What Mark, a treat. What a treat. Uh, Mark, what about you? I agree with all of that from Paul, that I think it accelerates your sense of enthusiasm for life and living life to the full. But I, as far as a cure... I think medical technology is coming on with such leaps and bounds, it will happen, but it won't happen in time for me. But I, I also wonder whether, until we know what causes it, can we find a cure? Because, I mean, if you don't know what causes it, and we don't seem to, and we never really discuss that, I don't know how you how you deal with it. Yeah, I'm much the same. I, I get enthusiastic. I go to big meetings where top scientists, like the one we're about to speak to, tell me about their exciting plans, and then... It always seems five years away and I begin to get less enthusiastic. What about you, Gillian? Well, I mean, five years away would be good, wouldn't it? It's just that it's permanently five years away. So it never seems to really come into focus, this cure. Well, for me, it's terribly important to find a cure because I have the genetic version and I have three children and I don't know which of them will or won't go on to um, develop it, I suppose, statistically. You know, it's too small a sample, isn't it? Three to say how many will or how many won't. But I suppose a third, I think, should do. So maybe one out of the three will. So I would very much like a cure, please. You know, if it's possible at all. But anyway, it does seem like the technology, medical technology, rather like AI, is, you know, supreme at the, the top level, but actually yeah. rubbish on the ground. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of big talk about AI accelerating drug discovery, for, for example, but not much evidence of it delivering so far. Anyway, we've got an expert. Gillian, you've brought along a great guest. He's indeed. just now squeezing in front of a microphone. Tell us who he is. He is Professor Tom Faulkney, and we're incredibly lucky to have him because he's one of the leading investigators for a cure. An investigator in normal speak, it means he's the head honcho, really, looking at the trials. And there's one in particular, which we're going to ask him about, called xenotide, which looks as though it could actually be disease-modifying, which is a very big deal. He has written over 350 papers, although I had to drag that figure from him, kicking and screaming. I think this is, is it fair to say, Tom, before we start, that this is one of the areas where the UK is very far ahead rather than behind? We're certainly holding our own. You know, in terms of the research that's going on in the UK, we have trials that are perhaps the most exciting globally. We're, we're not parochial about it. We try to join up with our, our colleagues across the Atlantic and across Europe and make sure we're a team. They're all trying to, to seek a cure for Parkinson's. Can we start with the judge's question, first of Have all? Have you found what caused it? See, that's a great starting point. I think rather than thinking about five years from now, I think we can look back 25 years ago when Maria Spilentini, who's a friend in Cambridge, describes alpha-synuclein as the protein which is building up in the cells, the brain cells of people with Parkinson's, and is the, the defining feature of the disease. Understanding why this protein starts building up and causing nerve cells to die prematurely, that's the key. And there's been some big news recently on how we can improve our diagnosis based on that understanding. So we've all got alpha-synuclein in our brains. So if you've got Parkinson's disease, you've got a problem with alpha-synuclein. Not everybody that's slow and stiff and shaky has got alpha-synuclein in their brains causing it. And that perhaps explains a little bit of the problems we've had over the last years, 
because we aren't necessarily doing research on one disease. We're doing research that's messed up by a whole different types of diseases, all of whom are slow, stiff and shaky. So by better characterizing who we're trying to study, who we're trying to cure, we've got a far better chance of doing so. And what is this stuff? Yes, what are we trying to get rid of it? So alpha nuclein occurs in normal people, but when it forms we're normal aggregates... We're normal people. people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not. So let's rephrase that. It occurs in people without Parkinson's disease, but when it starts aggregating and clogging up normal nerve physiology, then that's when there's a problem. And what does it normally do, though? So it has, has an effect on the synapses, are the connections between nerve cells in order to communicate with each other. So we know a bit about what alpha-synuclein does, but when it starts aggregating and clogging up the machinery of the cell, then the cell can't do what it's supposed to do. And some of the most vulnerable cells are those that make dopamine. I see. Can we also ask a key question? How do you define cure? Ideally, you want to prevent it from ever happening. A cure is obviously after the event, once the symptoms have started and the, the disease process is ongoing. And to me, a cure is being able to slow the rate of progression sufficiently such that you're, you're indistinguishable from other people who are just ageing gracefully. Are you saying slow it, not actually stop? So we have treatments that can hide the symptoms. Mm. So whether it's the tablets for you know, levodopa replacement, whether it's deep brain stimulation, all of these things can hide the symptoms. And for many people, they're, they're very effective. Not everybody, but for many people, they're very effective. But what we need is once someone's presented with Parkinson's symptoms, to hide their symptoms, but also stop them getting worse and developing new symptoms. And that, if you do it sufficiently well, that's a cure. And is that yes. one process or two? It may well be two, because if we were able to predict who's going to get Parkinson's disease, then you only need one. You just stop it getting worse. But once people have already presented, then restoring the deficit, there are avenues to go down to do that. But just hiding those deficits with levodopa replacement or DBS, we already have those. So it's easy to, to think about two things happening in parallel. One symptomatic, the other disease modifying. And yes. why is it so difficult to get rid of this alpha-synuclein? There have been trials that are looking at alpha-synuclein itself using antibodies to bind to alpha-synuclein and, and basically reduce the amount of alpha-synuclein there is in the brain. We don't know how well those antibodies get into the brain. They've been given by an infusion into the bloodstream and they're given on a regular basis to keep the levels of antibodies topped up. But whether enough of them are getting into the brain and into the parts of the brain that, that are suffering from Parkinson's, that's not quite clear. So there is scope still to look at targeting alpha-synuclein itself. But there are a lot of other approaches looking at the consequences of alpha-synuclein or other ways of dealing with this pathology. Why don't we get down to nuts and bolts and look at what cures are on the horizon? Because there are a number of drugs that have reached phase three, aren't there? And explain why that's important and what they are. So another way of looking at it is identifying what things makes Parkinson's worse. And one of the things we know about is diabetes. If you've got both diabetes and Parkinson's, then it makes your Parkinson's rate of decline far, far quicker. It's a far more malignant disease. Oh dear. So understanding that means that if we can address the processes which help diabetes, we may also be able to help the rate of progression of Parkinson's in people who don't have diabetes. And that's where this diabetes drug exenatide comes in. What's the story of that? Where is it? When might we get it? So, so th this is a great story, that this protein was found in the, the venom and the saliva of the Gila monster lizard, which lives in the Arizona desert. 
And you can ask me why on earth is someone studying the Gila monster, but there have been numerous medicines that have been identified from snake venom, for example. You know, heparin is a blood thinner that was identified in the Malayan pit viper. So there are people who are testing, looking for, for novel proteins in different species or, or, or different areas. And so this Exendin-4 was identified in the Gila monster venom, and it was found to be very similar to a protein that we all make called GLP-1. Now, GLP-1 is really important to control your blood sugar. And this is why it's ended up being a treatment for diabetes, because Exendin-4, or the synthetic version of it, Exenatide, works on the same receptors, the GLP-1 receptors, but it works for much longer. It has a, a lasting effect on these receptors in order to control your blood sugar. <coughs> What people have done in parallel is to look at this new protein and see what it does to nerve cells in the dish. And if you use exenatide in the laboratory, it protects nerve cells from toxins. No matter which toxins you use to poison the nerve cells, they seem to be much more robust when you give them a bit of exenatide as well. We've looked at the literature, looked at the, the epidemiology, and we found that people with diabetes who are normally at a higher risk of developing Parkinson's disease, those that have been given exenatide for their diabetes, they have a far lower rate of developing Parkinson's disease. So there's some anecdotal evidence that perhaps this is doing something to reduce right. your risk of getting it. I see. So now what we're doing is giving it to people who have already got Parkinson's disease to see if it might slow down the rate of decline. That's a phase three trial, is it? Yeah, so we've, we've done two trials already. And in both of them, we have positive results, small trials, but very robust. And so now we're doing the third, it's a phase three trial, multi-center, double-blind, placebo-controlled, highest quality evidence to see if, if we can demonstrate that using exenatide, continuing it for a two-year period, does have a prolonged benefit and reduces the rate of decline. And to and what extent is that benefit? So in the last trial, it was a, a four-point improvement. It's the scale we use to measure Parkinson's disease. It, we call it the UPDRS, Unified Parkinson's Disease Rating Scale. And a four-point improvement is quite modest, but over the course of one year, four-point is pretty much as much as someone might decline. So it stopped the rate of decline. What we wow. need to do mm. is to find if four points is everything or if it's four points per year. Because yeah. if, if, it's, mm. if it's a cumulative effect, then over 10 years, then that's the difference between still at work and in a nursing home. So and what's, your, what's your hypothesis on that one? Well, we hope that it works, but we have to be you know, robust scientists is, about it. Is exenatide a drug that's already given to people with, with diabetes? Yeah. So, so the, what's stopping me getting it now? So you need to make the best decision for you. You know, of course, it's licensed as a treatment for diabetes. If you had diabetes as well, your GP could prescribe it. There are other diabetes drugs and they'd weigh out the pros and cons. Rather than prescribing it carte blanche for Parkinson's patients, we want to get the data to show that it's definitely helpful. There are downsides, of course, to using this drug. It causes nausea. It causes weight loss. It can cause bloating and puts you off your food. Those tend to be transient effects for a couple of months, but we don't want to give people other things to have to put up with unless it's definitely good at slowing down the rate of progression of Parkinson's. On the other hand, there may be people with Parkinson's who think Parkinson's is far worse than a bit of bloating and a bit of you know, discomfort. Indeed. So if we get the data, then I think we will certainly advocate using this on, on a bigger scale. So I have diabetes as well. Would it be sensible to tell my GP about this and ask? Absolutely. There are a number of different GLP-1 receptor agonists. So exenatide is the first one, and there are some newer ones that have come along. 
And there are trials of, of most of them in Parkinson's patients as well, based on what we've published previously. There's another drug that's been highly publicised called Ambroxol, which is basically cough medicine, isn't it? Absolutely. So, so this, this is parallel work. This has got a different approach. So, so this Ambroxol appears to help an enzyme called GKs. So GKs is produced by a gene called GBA1, and it's the gene that gets mutated, which actually causes a different disease called Gaucher's disease. And it's interesting that the people that ran the Gaucher's disease clinics noticed that all the relatives of their Gaucher patients seem to turn up with Parkinson's disease. So it seems that just having one abnormal gene is a risk factor for developing Parkinson's later in life. And from a big study that occurred trying to help people with Gaucher's disease, they found out that this drug Ambroxol, which is an over-the-counter cough syrup, was a chaperone. It helped protect GKs from being broken down. There's now interest in using Ambroxol in patients with Parkinson's disease to enhance the GK's activity they have and therefore rescue the nerve cells from dying. Therefore, we should all be going out and getting this cough medicine. Well, isn't it? I mean, don't you think that's hilarious that there could be a cure for Parkinson's in cough mixture? I mean, it's, that's God having a fantastic laugh. Isn't it? <laughs> well, the, impo the important thing is that we need to get the trials done to find out the answers. There, there are dozens of different drugs that, that are already being used in people that we know are relatively safe, but we don't know what they do for Parkinson's and if they do slow down the rate of progression or if they could even make matters worse. Key question, how far away are you telling us there might be a cure? So I will put every caveat that you like. You know, we need to get the data. We need to look at it carefully and make sure that we, what we publish and how we present the findings are robust and sensible. We're not trying to be sensationalist and we're not trying to say we found a cure. If we find something that slows down the rate of progression, if that's what we find, then, then that's the news we'll shout from the rooftops. So but no date. No date. So the, the last person finishes the trial in February 2024. It'll take us a few months to do the, the data analysis and then to get the, the, the data published. So, so sometime middle of 2024, we'll have those results. If it's negative, then of course we presented as such. But we hope very much that we, we are giving positive news. Can we just talk about placebo for a second? Because I've heard it said that placebo works particularly well in Parkinson's. Is that true? And if so, why? The placebo effect is largely mediated by dopamine release. So if, if you feel good, it's because of dopamine that you release in your brain. And when you take all of these pills that you've got in front of you, the, the cinemeta madapar, this is replacing dopamine and it can change your mood, it can change your perception. So if you believe that a tablet or an injection or a brain surgery that, that you, you've been through is positive, then you get more dopamine released. And of course, that will do something for your slowness. So your message to Jeremy in particular is have faith. Have more dopamine. <laughs> Thinking makes it so. You've said that there are two paths of research. One is the research which is addressing disease modification. And the other is the path is the research that's addressing the suppression of symptoms. Where is the latter research going at the moment? So, of course, we have levodopa, we have deep brain stimulation. There, there are gene therapies and there are cell therapies, both of which might be hugely influential. The gene therapy might be symptomatic and disease modifying. It depends on the genes that we're, you're trying to manipulate. Cell therapy, we hope, is restorative. So if you take dopamine cells and you put them back into the brain, then in a sense they can make connections with, with the, the cells that want to receive the dopamine and they can restore the normal dopamine firing. 
But of course, that's not dealing with the alpha nucleon pathology, which can spread outside the dopamine system. So it's, it can be a very effective way of restoring what's lost from the dopamine side. It means you won't have to take so many pills, but it doesn't necessarily stop problems later on, which could be balance problems or speech problems. They've got nothing to do with dopamine. Can I just say you've performed a miracle today because I've just heard Jeremy saying this is most encouraging. It's it is. First, yeah, it's amazing. It is it's like a, it's complete yeah, it's transformation. Taking us, us up to episode 11 to get that it, out. It is, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, positive Jeremy, there can't be anything better than that. <laughs> Thank you very much, Professor Faltony. Thank you. Well, we've got our second guest who's shuffled in front of the mic now. He's the chief executive of the charity with a mission to cure Parkinson's. It's called, believe it or not, Cure Parkinson's. And his name is Will Cook. Will, welcome. You used to be a very highly paid corporate lawyer. Why on earth did you chuck it in to do this? Uh, well, I can't say I was a highly paid corporate lawyer. I was a lawyer. Uh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. As we all know from the judge, lawyers are extremely well paid, whatever they do. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make any comment on it. <laughs> what I can tell you is um, I was delighted when, when I was a lawyer to be invited to be a trustee of, of Cure Parkinson's, as was then the Cure Parkinson's Trust, and that's still our, our full name. Yes, I was a, a trustee there for a couple of years, moonlighting a little bit from the law, not too much. But at that stage, I saw some of the pipeline drugs. Exenatide was one of those drugs. We as trustees were approving phase two trials at that stage. That was hugely exciting to know that we're a part of something potentially so positive for the community. And here we are, what, eight years later, and so we're looking at towards the back end of the phase three trial on that type of drug. But there was an inspirational figure oh, behind yeah. Cure oh, Parkinson's. No, absolutely. I will say the two reasons why I'm involved in Cure Parkinson's. One is ILCT, or this pipeline of drugs. I can talk more about that in, in a sec if you like. The other one was a very personal one, and that was Tom Isaacs, one of the co-founders and indeed the president of Cure Parkinson's when I was a, a trustee. He's the one who invited me in to be a trustee. Tom tragically passed away in 2017. That was when I was acting chair of the trustees. At that stage, I had a decision to make with my family. What did I do? Do I drop everything and put myself, my full time behind this charity and the cause. And as I say, I had seen that pipeline so I could see what the potential was. Or do I go back and do other things? Well, I, I chose Cure Parkinson's. How long has Cure Parkinson's been around? We are about 17 years now. 17 years? Yes. So 17 years ago, there were two people around a kitchen table plotting, crafting, basically disrupting the system. Now, those two people 17 years ago were in no position to really fund phase three clinical trials, drive forward phase two. Where they were in a position to do is build a charity that now is able to do that. And how much money do you have at your disposal to do this? It's a huge project, isn't it, to call yourselves Cure Parkinson's? Well, yes. So last year, we brought in £7 million including significant funding. A, a large part of that was from our strategic partners, our co-funding partners. If I can step back, I call this charity an international catalyst for cure, and I very carefully choose all of those words. But the international nature of it is twofold. One is it brings international scientists like Tom Faulkner and other brilliant leading neurologists and, neuros and neuroscientists together to choose the next generation of drugs repurposing drugs, for example. And some of the international nature is bringing together international funders to actually pay for those drug trials to go forward. And so it's proved. So Ambroxol, a phase three clinical trial, which we just announced last year for funding, announced this year, we actually signed the contracts last year for funding. That was a syndicate of us alongside an American institution, Van Andel, 
alongside a UK charitable foundation, the John Black Charitable Foundation, and indeed uh, Parkinson's UK virtual biotech. But, but let's get. I think what Gillian is getting at is that you know you say we raised seven million pounds last year. That's absolute peanuts compared with what goes into I don't know cancer research and so on. Can True. you make a deal? And, and even compared with the you know the Michael J. Fox Foundation, got much bigger resources. True. How, how do you make an impact? We like to say we punch above our weight. We're a small charity, right? Our, our footprint is small, but we think that our shadow, our, our influence on the world is, is great. We've put £16 million into clinical trials and preclinical research since we started. The vast majority of that has been in the last seven years. But a conservative estimate from those £16 million is that another £100 million from other international funders has gone to the trials and the clinical projects that we fund. But we're very focused in what we do. So I, th there are other charities around the world and other commercial organizations, fantastic, well-funded, and as I say, in some cases, profit-making organizations who are looking at Parkinson's. We're only one part of that, but we're trying to make a bang for our buck. So what we try to do is to focus on disease modification, which we've already talked about with, with Tom Fortney, and specifically trying to identify, prioritize, and fund repurposed and repositioned drugs, drugs which already exist, have a safety profile and show some sound biochemical evidence against this condition. If so, we will obviously go through the usual due diligence and then fund to try to get them through to clinical right. trial. I'm still Can trying I, to absorb sorry. what Tom said, but uh, <clears throat> if I was a cynical old hack looking for a newsline rather than a sophisticated podcaster, I'd be saying, are you talking about a cure, something that could be labelled a cure by the middle of next year? So the word cure, let's talk about the word disease modification and then link it to cure. Disease modification is getting into the brain, into the, the underlying pathology of Parkinson's and altering it and changing, changing the way the brain works. Those neurons, those dopamine producing brain cells, changing the way they work. Now that is in distinction with merely masking a symptom, temporarily or, or partially, just masking it and making you feel better or, or seem better, but underlying the progression is still going as fast. Disease modification is changing that, that curve, changing that line. So it's no longer going down severely. It's going down less severely or it's being stopped or it's being reversed. Slow, stop or reverse are a continuum of disease modification. Now, it's a bit of a philosophical question, really, but clearly a cure would be removal of all symptoms and full brain function restored. Now, that must be full reversal and permanent reversal of the degeneration of the brain. That must be the ultimate cure. But that's one end of a continuum of slow stop and reverse. And where so, are we on that continuum? So, so we, have, we focus on drugs which have evidence for slowing, stopping or reverse. Because if you trial a drug which potentially could slow, if it works better or very well, it could well stop. I think it's in, in more simple terms for us. It, a cure is for Jeremy... Jeremy stops falling over all the time. Yeah. Yes. And, and, I, I, and I can I get on like a train without that, sort of actually. having a freezing attack. And I can get off a train. I, I quite like one that just stopped the shaking. Yeah. Yeah. 15 years you've been at Cure Parkinson's. No, I've been there seven, eight seven years. Is, what, what achievement in that period are you most proud of? Well, you've heard from someone connected with one of them, Professor Faulkner and the team at UCL pushing forward the Xenotide clinical trial through to... So what, what's that meant? What completed matter? Well, look, we haven't cured Parkinson's. If we had, none of us would be talking mm. and the charity wouldn't exist. 
the only thing will, that will stop us existing is when we cure. Mm. Yes. So given our sole focus is cure, it, it, it's a question but which it, I can't it, answer. No. But I, we is haven't there, cured is there, Parkinson's. Is, is, was, is there one project that has been completed, a drug, for example, which has significantly improved the symptoms? That, yeah. So, the, the, but they're not about <clears throat> curing the symptoms. No. They're, no. they're, they're, they're no, about finding a cure. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's an unfair yes question, isn't it? Okay. What you're saying is, have you cured it yet? No, he's not. Not entirely. No, okay. I mean, what we have is 12 ongoing or recently completed trials for repurposing reconditioned drugs with a view to assessing whether they're slow, stop or reverse, whether mm. they're modifying the condition. Two of those, exenatide, Professor Faulkner's mm. drug, and Ambroxol, which is another phase three clinical trial mm. coming, two of those have actually moved towards yes. phase three clinical trial for disease modification, potential disease modification. Now, as we understand it, there's only six publicly known in the world that are phase three clinical trials, right. potentially for disease modification. And we're behind two. Not bad. Thank you, but it's not enough. Until we cure, none of us are satisfied. That's why I gave up my career, my life to do this. <laughs> but, no, no. but we can't do more than absolutely throw our energy and enthusiasm and our skill set towards the ultimate goal. Finally, Something. could I ask, do you find it difficult walking this tightrope between giving encouragement to people like us and being realistic? Because you have to be realistic, don't yes. you? Yes. The tightrope between hope and hype. <laughs> Absolutely. But we're not about giving hype. We're giving about evidence-based hope. So I'm a lawyer. I, the judge here will recognise truly the value of evidence. Proper, fully assessed evidence. That's what I've personally built my life as a litigator on. And that's why I found this satisfying. Because you can see decisions are made based on the evidence. Yes. When do you think, and this is another crude question I suppose, we might see a believable headline in the papers saying, a cure found for Parkinson's, given all your provisos about what a cure so, means. So you had one of the most erudite professors sitting in this chair just a few seconds ago and the same similar question. I think it's, it's really impossible, especially for a lawyer, right? I'm just, I'm not a charity executive, a lawyer to give an answer. But the Xenotide results will be coming out next year, I think, as, as Tom mentioned. The Ambroxol results will be going forward. We will work to move towards a cure as soon as we can. Our mantra is only invest in drugs which slow, stop or reverse in the clinic within five years. Right. So we are most certainly looking at a, a quicker than, than a slower time frame. Will, thank you very much. That's been incredibly inspiring. It's been very interesting. But what I'd like to do before we go is go around and see whether what we've heard has changed our view. Uh, Judge, have you emerged no, no, I, more I, hopeful? I, I am more hopeful than I was earlier today that there will be a genuine cure in the terms that we've defined it probably not in my lifetime, but in the foreseeable future. What about you, Paul? Well, I'm, I'm not counting on any cure in my lifetime at all, and I'm determined to make the most of things, despite the fact that there's no cure. But if, say, my son or a member of my family got Parkinson's, then I have hope that they won't go through this experience. Gillian? Yeah, exactly that. I mean, I think one of my children probably will get it, and I think they probably will have a cure by then, I hope. Mark? I'm much more optimistic, not for myself, but for all the rest of the future. Parkies may not have to be Parkies, eventually. 10 years, 20 years. Unborn Parkies. Mm. <laughs> Jeremy, um, you, you seem to have been quite in, inspired by some of what you've heard. I have been inspired. I've been very, very impressed indeed by what the professor had to say and by what Tom from Cure Parkinson's had well. to say. <laughs> 
Will, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I, well, I call you Tom. Is that well, a silly old It's fool. a symptom of Parkinson's. These people do that. <laughs> he, he is the spirit of Tom. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's bloody impressive. It is bloody impressive. And could, can we, I don't know if we can or not, but could we say that Cure Parkinson's could always do with more money? Could yeah, we? well, yeah. we're sponsored by an organisation which supports Cure Parkinson's, so I don't feel at all bad about saying, give your money to Cure Parkinson's. <laughs> You've been listening to Movers and Shakers with me, Rory Catherine-Jones, and my friends Gillian Lacey-Solomar, Mark Mardell, Paul Mayhew-Archer, Nicholas Mostyn and Jeremy Paxman. The show is produced by Nick Hilton for Poddo. Our theme music is by Alex Stobbs and cover artwork by Till Lucat. Thanks again to Boardwave for their support. Please subscribe to get new episodes straight into your podcast app and do rate and review if you've enjoyed the show. We're also on Twitter, at MoversAnd6, that's Movers and the number 6. So please share the show there, and email any thoughts or questions to feedback at moversandshakerspodcast.com. See you next week. <laughs>